When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to DraftKings Network. Ortiz finds it off center field. Damon run into the plate, and he can keep on running to New York. Back to full. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. I can't circle. I don't have my telestrator today, but what? here comes a pizza. See it? <laughs> This is our fucking city, and nobody gonna dictate our freedom. Stay strong. Welcome back to the Name Redacted Podcast, America's most beloved podcast, the most downloaded Red Sox podcast in the world. Tomorrow, depending on when you're listening to this, a week from Thursday is opening day. And uh, it doesn't feel like it because I feel like we just, like seeing David Ortiz and A-Rod with uh, Kevin Burkhart like, I'm like, oh, the World Series just ended. <laughs> like, we just got a bunch of playoff games and Poppy and A-Rod are breaking them down afterwards. And now it's over. And I'm like, oh, shit, it's the offseason again. But we're, we have a one-week buffer before we begin the Major League Baseball season. And I'll be honest, said this to Tyler. I'm not trying to hide from it. I have not fucking followed the Red Sox at all during the World Baseball Classic. I was all in on the WBC every game, not just Team USA, not just the big ones, not just Japan, Venezuela, Puerto Rico, um, Mexico. I was following the whole fucking thing every single night, watching every single game. Uh, obviously, loosely, I'm not saying I completely ignored the Boston Red Sox, um, but I was trying to say that to like, you know, some of the players being like, bro, like, how are you not over there? Like how, I mean, but it, it all depends on the personality, right? Because if you are uh, a major league baseball player, some guys want to go and compete every single day. Some guys are like, Oh, spring training, play a couple innings, hit the showers. I'm on the golf course by noon. Like that's, that's spring training for some guys. And that's okay. If that's what they want to do. Like I would much rather have a dude that's got a compete level of 10, but a talent level of six out there than a guy that's got a talent of 10, but his compete level of two because he's not into it. Like, I want the guys that are into it. So, uh, World Baseball Classic was fucking awesome. Tyler, before we, before we get going here on some Red Sox stuff, do you have any uh, World Baseball Classic thoughts? Because I know I have baseball dead, and I get to get my World Baseball Classic thoughts and emotions out on that particular show, but you might not have uh, a platform to get those thoughts out. What were your impressions of the World Baseball Classic? I thought it was incredible. Like truly the way I've kind of painted it was I think in 2017, they got the players into it. I think a lot of people who were in the baseball community at that time, even you, Jared, who were posting content and, you know, going that way with it. It was cool, but, you know, nobody was really buying in yet. When the players bought in for this tournament, it felt like everyone, if you're into baseball, if you cover baseball, if you even tweet about baseball, you had to watch. Now, atmosphere and everything, I agree. It's playoff, you know, level sometimes even plus it felt like it was deeper than the world series, especially with some of those ballparks and the heritage and everything coming in. But the biggest thing, if you're a Red Sox fan for me is Masataka Yoshida. 
what he did over the course of this tournament. And when we talked about it a week ago, it was, oh, well, congrats. He hit a homer against Team Italy. Who cares? When we saw what happened against Team Mexico, that completely changed everything. Patrick Sandoval, who, what, made 27 starts this past year with a 291 ERA? Yoshida, shooting two singles to left field like it's mm. nothing. Mm. Facing a guy in Jojo Romero who, you know, quadruple-A-esque reliever, someone who's has big league time the last couple of years, you take him deep. It felt like everyone, or not everyone, but a majority of people, even from the national media side, were like, whoa, Masataka Yoshida, like this guy is something. Jeff Passan putting that tweet out there, that's something, you know, you're attaching your name to it. And he put out a preview in the last couple of days, or I think today for the season, he was like, a lot rides on Masataka Yoshida, but what we're seeing so far, he seems to answer the bell. So that's my biggest takeaway. And Alex Cora today, seeing him and being like, you know, giving him his kind of flowers for all of it and saying congrats. I feel more confident in Yoshida than I have ever felt. And I thought I was one of the guys who was higher on him going into the tournament. Mm-hmm. I was I was texting with some people during the tournament watching Yoshida being like, how do those? Well, I guess I guess if you don't put a name to it, you're not going to feel like an asshole. But I'm sure there are plenty of executives being like, uh, I might have. Might have, uh, you know, said some things about Yoshida before actually watching him play. Like, that's the other thing, too. How many of these executives actually watched him play before they started flapping their gums about how the Red Sox uh, had a shitty judgment call when they signed him to the deal that they did? And in talking to some other people, I mean, the other side of the story doesn't really come out. But in talking to some other people, I was told that other teams had very similar evaluations to what the Red Sox did. You just only heard from the teams that didn't have the same evaluation that the Red Sox did. So it's not like, you know, the rest of the pack was here and then the Red Sox just fucking blew everyone out of the water like Xander Bogarts. I feel like that's kind of how people picture it is, you know, teams were 160 to 180 on Xander and then the Padres are just like, wham, how's 280 for 11 years sound? And he's like, well, what the fuck am I supposed to do? Like, that's clearly the best offer out there with the Red Sox and Yoshida. There were other teams that were in the ballpark of what the Red Sox were saying. It's just that the majority, they were lower. Um, but the Red Sox were not alone in going out on a limb being like, yep, this guy's a real deal. Like, here's a fucking contract offer. It's pretty juicy. Um, so I, I, and I, go ahead. Yeah. And I'd add like the two teams we know that were at least showing significant interest, the Blue Jays and the Dodgers. Those are two organizations you ask anybody in baseball. They're amongst the top respected. They seemingly have a pulse on these kind of things and, you know, scout pretty heavily over in Japan. The Red Sox are one of the few teams as well that really do that. So, like, look at the company. Of course, the Dodgers are mad they missed out on Yoshida. The Blue Jays, yeah, I bet they are that the Red Sox went up there and said, hey, we're going to get this done as quickly as possible. We're willing maybe to go a little beyond what other teams and I believe if you go back to that Kylie article, it might have been Keith Law's piece. It was one of them. There was at least one other team that had a similar evaluation as the Red Sox. I just think a lot of people were in the midst of an offseason where it was so easy to kick the Red Sox. And this was just the next way to do it. That and with, oh, wow, the Red Sox shut his market down before it could even get started. Mm -hmm. They just said, hey, we like this guy so much. Let's get it done. Yeah. And if he produces to the level any of these projections from fan graphs or whoever, you know, say it is which are basically Xander Bogarts from last year, all of them are going to be eating their words. And that's the kind of signing, as we talked about, if it goes wrong, it, would, it could break Heimblum. That could be the, you know, the straw that if he's Shogo Akiyama, that, that could be the straw that breaks the cattle's back or camel's back, whatever. That's definitely is. a camel. 
you know, some people, depending on how you want to go about the saying. Mm-hmm. Um, cattle known for their strong backs. Some, some are. There are weak backed cattles. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think that's it. If Bloom hits on this signing and he lives up to it, that's going to earn him a lot of goodwill after, you know, everything that went wrong last year. But on, on that note, if you were to ask the Red Sox, do you, did you overpay a little bit to make sure that you got the guy? They'd probably be like, yeah, you know, like if we went to 80, we know that we're in a pool of like three, four other teams. And now we're, we're in a bidding war or we're, we just at, at, with our offer at 80 million, we just kind of like bought a lottery ticket and we're hoping for the best at a hundred million. We're like, we are saying we want the player. We want the player and we got the player and we, we, you know, throw in another 20 million to make sure that it happens. Sometimes you have to do that. Uh, so I think that they would probably admit that they overpaid a little bit, but to your point about the projections, he has all the potential in the world to live up to that deal, even at a hundred versus 80. I mean, that potential certainly exists that he could live up to the contract. It's not a gross overpay. It's, it's a, you know, we outbid everyone and we knew that we were outbidding everyone because we wanted the player. And I, that, those are two completely different things than saying it was an overpay. But to get to sit there and actually watch this guy in games, that only has to enhance the excitement around him. I know that there are a lot of Red Sox fans out there that were already excited about Yoshida, but getting to sit there and watch him play and take at bats and the way that he sprays the ball, but he's also got some pop and he's even got a little like flair out there and left like. Just like the way that he throws the ball back into the infield after uh, recording and out. Yeah, he's got like some like Yoannis like yeah. put back in there. Uh, so he was fun to watch. And, and again, like that play, that play in left where he, you're like, oh, no, he fucking one hopped it into the right handed batter's box. Like, blah, blah. Was the runner out? Did he throw? He was. Did he catch the fucking ball and did he throw it home and was the runner out? Oh, it was a bad send. It was a bad send and a bad throw. Did he make the throw? Was the runner out? Yes. Yes. On top of it, Jared, you know, we're talking about a guy when all these articles came out laughing at the Red Sox that were like, we don't think Yoshida can even be out in the outfield. He is such a travesty out there that he is probably only ever going to DH. And if you try to play him out there, it's going to look like Hanley Ramirez, Kyle Schwarber, whoever it is. It's like people don't realize defense is at a different scale in the MPB. They're so fundamental heavy over there. You know, they're not putting Franchi Cordero at first base and saying, hey, learn the position on the go over there. They care very heavily about that stuff. That's why we see so many elite defenders over there watching that nice play. You, you know, you just mentioned the throw. He had another one earlier in the tur- tournament in the like left center gap going up against the wall. Like Yoshida looks solid. And you were the one who said it when you went down. Cora said it as well. Kike had him to the list. There's a little carry on Yoshida's throws mm-hmm. for those who want to act like there's nothing there or he's just lofting it. No, I have no doubts about him. He's going to make all the routine plays. Is the range not going to be great? Yeah, congrats. That's left field in Major League Baseball. Mm-hmm. You know, especially we watched Manny Ramirez all these years. I'm not saying he's going to be Manny Ramirez or anything like that. If he hits, you're not thinking about it. Just make the routine plays. You got the monster protecting you as long as you can learn to play it. You should be fine. There's also data to look at uh, the routes that players take to balls defensively. I... I don't even know how to look that up, to be honest with you. Uh, But I mean, just watching him in the field, I didn't see him with the eye test. I know that people fucking hate that term. 
But with the eye test, I wasn't looking at him being like, that was a bad route to the ball, like not naming any names. But there are Red Sox outfielders. We were like, what the fuck was that (laughs) route to the ball? Uh, It's not just one guy either. I'm not trying to single out one guy, but there are players. We're like, what the fuck was that route? Uh, I didn't notice that at all from Yoshida. Um, But I think what's most interesting and what we can talk about this as well. By the way, we're going to do some uh, some storylines because this used to be an annual blog that I would write uh, every single spring training. I would do spring training storylines and I would break it down uh, rotation, lineup, manager, bullpen, and just go through the storylines that exist in each. I think we're going to do two this week and two next week. So I think we'll do uh, uh, we'll do rotation. We'll do rotation manager this week and we'll do lineup bullpen next week. Um, But on the subject of the lineup, a lot of people talking about Tristan Costas leading off. A lot of people talking about that when I fucking said that a goddamn month ago that it was basically went once once. Cora walked back the whole uh, Yoshida leading off thing. So at, at winter weekend, Cora implied or suggested that Yoshida could be their leadoff guy. Then a couple weeks down the line, he's like, who the fuck put that out there? Well, you did. And so I think you're, you're, you're basically locked in at two, three, four with Devers, Turner, Yoshida. So who's your leadoff guy? The second that Cora said that Yoshida is not leading off, I was like, it's got to be Casas. Because when you think about the same, why, why would Yoshida lead off? It's because of the plate patience, the strike zone awareness, the ability to get on base. That's, we don't know that for a fact because Tristan Casas hasn't played a full big league season. Um, but we do know that that's his profile, which means that if it's not Yoshida, who makes the most sense? And I was, what was the name of the podcast that you were on, Tyler? Uh oh! I think no. it was off the That's monster. T- off the monster. Yes. H. Yeah. So Tyler, H. Tyler, I because I'm a very supportive co-host and friend. I was listening to Tyler on this podcast, uh, which is how I found him in the first place. Was Tyler doing a podcast? What was it? Locked on Red Sox. Yes, with uh, Jake Iggy. Yes, great kid, Jake Iggy. Um. Uh. So you guys were talking about, um, like the lineup, and you've mentioned this before the the whole bridgier concept and how no one wants to hear that but it kind of just is what it is and you've used this to talk about Garrett Whitlock you've used this season as you can still win some games but let's figure out what we got if if you're going for it Whitlock's probably in the bullpen and you go find another starter but because we need to figure out is Whitlock a starter is he a reliever this is the year where you're going to figure out what Whitlock really is you can say the same for Casas leading off. Like it's his official rookie season. I know that that's a lot to ask of a guy, but he's got all the makings of like it, it with like the fucking nail polish and the sunbathing and all that shit. Is that someone that you think is going to like cave to the big moment of your leading off in the big leagues? No, he, he doesn't give a fuck, man. That's Tristan one of Casas the reasons exists inside of his own mind. And nothing out here is going to deter him from what he's trying to do at the big league level. In other cases, maybe I'd be like, yeah, that's a little bit too much. But Cora, Cora talked about how in 2007, you know, you call up Jacoby Ellsbury, you bat him towards the bottom of the order, you get his feet wet. And then by October, now he's your leadoff hitter and he's a table setter with Dustin Pedroia and they're, they're doubling and scoring runs all over the place. Like, yes, I get that there, in some cases it's good to build guys up. But 2007, that team won the World Series. 
Like this is not a team that you're expecting a World Series title this year. So kind of going against that line of thinking, I, I think I'm okay. I think I'm okay with having Costas lead off. Maybe not at the start of the year. Like maybe it's, it's something that you gradually ease them in like by like May, but I'm not trying to wait till fucking August, September to try them out there. No, and I think it's going to depend. Like people, first off, the old heads were like, how could you let someone who's slow and big and hits homers, how is he going to be your leadoff hitter? If you're okay with Yoshida, the one thing you can say about Yoshida, he's not winning any races anytime soon. That dude is not a speedster. That's past. Baseball doesn't view it that way last year. You look at the Phillies and Kyle Schwarber, the Red Sox and Kyle Schwarber, uh, who had no problem putting him in that spot. It's just about the plate discipline, plate discipline, like you said, the power. Um, and I think with Tristan Cassis, will it be every day? No. I think they're going to pick their spots, especially against right-handed pitching. Against lefties, I'd be surprised, uh, at least early, just for the simple fact that Cassis has a history of struggling against lefties in the minors. It's definitely his weaker side. Now, he's hit two homers to spring off lefties, so would I be shocked if he's figured that out and that's now part of his game? Not one bit. And then you have even less, you know, back and forth. I do think it gets a little scary when you're, you know, you don't have that consistent leadoff hitter. But if it's someone between Kike, Arroyo, and Rest Snyder, those are the three names Cora mentioned uh, against lefties. You could do a lot worse than that. And I look at Cassis from the confidence angle. Uh, I can't remember what beat reporter it was, but someone said the Red Sox have not had a prospect with this kind of confidence since Dustin Pedroia. That's the last one. Mm. When you're talking about putting Cassis in that leadoff spot, can you get by? He has the makeup for it. And I do think core has changed a little bit. Like you go back to earlier, you know, at winter weekend, the way he was framing things was, hey, let's we're going to ease him in. Let's kind of figure it out. It hasn't been that way throughout spring training. They've had him, you know, towards the top of the lineup almost every single game. It's just what makes the most sense. Even if you're going to commit to going lefty lefty there, you accept it. The lineup's going to get weird. But it's more about talent. And I wasn't always sure sure Cora was willing to go that route. Now it's like, no, we're just going to put our best hitters in the positions they need to succeed. We're not going to obsess over left, right, like we have in the past at times. Yeah. Yeah. Fair is fair. Uh, yeah, like, just look at Cassis last year when he came up. The only person with a higher walk rate from his debut on was Aaron Judge. That was it. And he sucks. But he does suck. But that dude was hitting leadoff for the Yankees last year. Mm. So like, boom, there you go. And if things change over the course of the year, they figure themselves out. Great. If that's your starting point, you can do way worse. Yeah. Couple news and notes here really quick. Uh, Brian Bayo made his first start after coming back and uh, looks pretty good. Tyler, he looks pretty good. I mean, I obviously I wasn't watching on TV. I just saw the, the clips on Twitter, but um, had some uh, had the change piece dancing. Did you see what the the velo numbers were? Yeah, uh, I believe they were normal. They they were right in that like ninety five to ninety seven range. What's the latest uh, so, update on when he'll be ready? So if you kind of do the dates in your head, he's one week behind Whitlock or really one start. So if Whitlock's going to miss one turn, Bayo's probably going to miss two turns. So call it mid April. Okay, you okay with that? Yeah, listen, you're going to have to get by earlier in the year. It is what it is, but we look at it. Cutter Crawford, Tanner Houck, hopefully Houck has a better start tonight. Uh, He has had a pretty rough spring in terms of command, but you can get by with those two. The bullpen does make me a little nervous. We'll get to that later. Um, I do think that's the one thing on this team right now that, you know, not shaky, but, you know, there's some more question marks that you originally thought you didn't have there because of the injuries, but take it slow. Please take it slow with Bayo. Seeing how he looked, 
when you see forearm tightness like we did, that's exactly so yeah. rarely. Yeah. So rarely you see a guy look like himself and come back. Take your time. It's going to be three innings, four innings, and then two five inning starts. That's how Cora wants to build him up. Be my guess. And he'll do it down in AAA. So it's probably going to just end up looking like he spent a month at AAA or two or three weeks, which for a guy who pitched 50 innings down there last year, I'm not complaining about. That's kind of that was going to be my point was you hear forearm tightness, knock on wood. How many you in forearm tightness in spring training? I tell you that he's going to come back in mid-April. That is legitimately the best case scenario that you can that you can think of. So and the stuff's not like down like you see guys come back and it's like, oh, you know, he's a couple ticks down from where he was. He says he feels fine, but, you know, who knows how it's affecting him. And then you just start doing it in your head. It's like, all right, I can see in June right now he's going to be getting hit around and he can't do it. No, Bayo went out there. He balled out. He was confident attacking hitters. Kind of like he said, like, I'm good. Don't worry about me. That's how he pitched. Mm -hmm. That's all I can ask for. Justin Turner's back. He's a dog, man. Smoked in the fucking face. 16 stitches. He was like, you know what? I'm going to sit on the sidelines for a couple weeks and I'll be right back. He was out there tweeting. A lot of the Red Sox guys, that was pretty cool that they were tweeting the uh, WBC, uh, the Mexico, um, uh, Japan. Yeah, Mexico, Japan game. You had Yoshida. You had Doogie, who both had big hits in that game. Both like that was the Red Sox show. Like, I would say the, you know, the majority of what was happening was like the the fucking Phillies show. Like you had Trey Turner balling out. You had JT. You had Schwarber. Um, The Phillies really showed up in the WBC. But that semifinal between Mexico and Japan, that was the Red Sox show. That was that was fun. Like how many. Like So comparative to 2019 and 2022. Uh I don't want to. Yeah, I, I guess like 2018, you're coming off a World Series in 2019. And that season, just you fell flat on your face immediately. Last year, you're coming off uh, ALCS appearance, going to game six, and you kind of fall flat on your face immediately out of the gate. Um, we're not used to good starts to the season. Like 2018, you lost on opening day, and then they won like fucking 20 of their next 22 games or whatever the fuck it was. Uh, so 18 is the outlier. We're more conditioned to starting off like dog shit and then having to play catch up the rest of the way. Like that's that's Red Sox baseball, baby. We fucking suck until we don't. That's that's what fucking happens. And it's it's infuriating because like it kind of like I'm tired of building suspense. Like it's almost like a, the script of like a, a drama show. Like I, I don't like there. You immediately introduce the adversity and uh, the antagonist, the antagonist being, oh, we don't have a bullpen. The antagonist of being, we have injuries. The antagonist of the Yankees started off fucking 19 and two. So now you're eight games back and it's not even fucking Mother's Day yet. Like that's, I don't, I don't love that. I don't love um, the instant, uh, I guess, like whole that, the, that the, it would be nice to just it's enjoy depressing. April. Yeah, it would be nice to enjoy the month of April. And before the season even started, we had Mexico and Japan with Doogie getting big hits and Yoshida hitting the game tying three run home run the seventh. And then um, what did he do in the eighth? Was that the. uh, What did he do in the eighth inning? Are you thinking uh, when Yoshida walked? 
in the maybe what was it the bottom of the ninth and then yeah Rirokami, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah otani yeah. had doubled yoshida walked hits yeah. them both in um, yeah so it was no. just nice to like watch red sox players play in important games and have big moments and be like excited about it because when you're fucking nine games out on may 3rd you're just like what the fuck like even if you have like a big game it's like all right now we gotta like we're scoreboard watching in May because like, you know, you, you want to get excited about a Red Sox win, but it's like if you're f- so far out of it. So that's why the emphasis on getting out of the gates hot is just so important this year. It's so important. Just not saying they're going to win the division, but just to like have something to to cling to and hope for is so important this year. It's just momentum. Give us momentum. You need to ride it because who wants to be talking like we were last year at the end of April? Like, Man, this is a must-win series. Like, if the Red Sox don't win this series, I think back to that White Sox series where Matt Barnes shit the bed at the beginning of May, and that felt like the death blow. And that was before, you know, the Seattle series and Trevor Story, three-homer game, all that. But you just can't afford to do that with this group. You have so many new parts coming in here, young guys that need to get off on the right foot. And like you mentioned, with Cora, with, you know, Kike, with Justin Turner, I think that's just a preview of what the vibes are. With this team this year, it's such a supportive group. They're going to go to the wall for their guys no matter what. Do they have the most talent? Hell no. But they are going to ride for each other. And just to see them kind of all on social media like that, I think, you know, people get sick of the vibe talk or whatever we've been pushing throughout spring training. It's like, this is what they're trying to do. They want these guys to feel supported when guys last year, we know certain guys did not feel supported. They felt kind of pushed to the side or pushed into a corner. That's not what they're doing with the young guys this year. They're not doing that with the newcomer, with Yoshida. Like, can you imagine how lonely Yoshida could feel coming to a new country? You don't really speak English. Um, You know, you're kind of trying to piece that together here. You've been in Japan. That's what you know. Into a Red Sox team where people are crapping on them. The narratives are so garbage. No, they have completely taken him in and they're making him their guy, starting with core, bringing him to that Super Bowl party. That's what I fucking love. And that's why I think no matter. What ends up happening, you know, if they win 84 games or whatever, we're going to look at this team and say, hey, they were a super likable group and they're easy to root for. They're fun to watch on a nightly basis. That's something we could not say about last year's team. So give me that. And a yeah. bridge that's all you can ask for. Yeah, I just I want a likable group. I want watchable baseball. The bar is so low. The bar is so low, Tyler. That's all I want. Um, it's sad. <laughs> it's where we are. Yeah, it's where we are. Um, I think. Having uh, the sports radio world not really caring about baseball is a good thing because I saw the uh, the first quote that came out from Yoshida after he got back to Red Sox camp was "I am tired." So, oh. like, <laughs> I, if if this were two thousand five and that quote came out, you would have sixteen straight hours of how the World Baseball Classic was bad because now the players are returning to camp burnt out before the season even starts. And how is this going to impact the Red Sox chances of winning a World Series? Like I like first of all, <clears throat> dude just flew across the fucking country for this tournament. Like he was in Japan and then he came here and now he's gonna be uh reporting back to Red Sox camp. So I don't think that he means like I am so physically drained that I cannot compete in major league games in a week. I don't think that that's probably what he meant by that. He was probably just like, whew, that was, you know, we just, we just won the world baseball classic. We, we went the distance. We won every single game. Uh, I was in the, the middle of all of it, just dominating. 
and we partied our fucking dicks off last night. And now I'm back in Red Sox camp. Like, yeah, it's been kind of a whirlwind this month. I'm pretty beat, <clears throat> but uh, I'm going to take a nap tomorrow and then I'm going to be fine. Like that, that's, that's probably how I see that one playing out. Oh, I could, I could tell you the, the headline of the day. Does Yoshida really even care about the Red Sox? Does he care about the big leagues or does he just only care about the WBC and all these different things? It's like, dude, yes, he's tired. Of course, he's been playing in World Series atmosphere baseball at the craziest stage, but it's early. It's March. You know, it's not like he's six months into a season or anything here. It's a lot of travel. It's a lot of hoopla, all the theatrics, everything. I know some people are kind of like, is he going to go back to Japan? Are they going to like go celebrate or anything? No. He's going to play Friday, I think Cora said today. Ease him in one day. And as we've seen, Kike's come back already. They kind of eased him in. Devers, they kind of eased him in. Cora knows his players better than anyone. Just ride it in. You got a week here. I I would be, he's probably going to play Friday, give him a day, and then you kind of go back and forth a little bit. But he's probably more anxious and ready to go than anyone. He's going, he's embarking on the biggest challenge of his life right now. The last thing I'm worried about is anything like that. The WB stuff or the WBC stuff, it's straight positives. Anyone who's trying to pin a negative angle on Yoshida after that, you're just trying too hard. Mm-hmm. Preach, Tyler. Jake, I'm so what, excited. Jake, what did you think about the World Baseball Classic? I thought it was awesome, mainly because like right now, we'd just be sitting around watching Red Sox spring training, getting bored of it probably the second, third weekend. But instead, we just got to see playoff World Series atmosphere. And some of the Red Sox were in it. So I think overall it was great for baseball and great to just entertain us waiting till opening day. It's facts. It's facts, Jake. You know what else is a fact? What? Blue Moon is delicious. True. True. Mm-hmm. So um <clears throat> we're gonna cut to Jake telling us how delicious nah. Blue Moon is. Nah, no. Now we are. Yeah, Jake, what are you gonna say? My mic's working. I haven't had any problems yet. What are you gonna say this time, huh? Not yet. Not yet. I'll think hold this out. Still go with it. He's got some watch, cooking. baby. Still got something cooking for you. Um, Milliken takes the W for the first time this episode. More like Milliken takes the L for the 76th episode in a row. Spring training is here, which means baseball is finally back. Blue Moon gives you a dose of ballpark nostalgia to get you excited for the baseball season. In fact, Blue Moon was born in a ballpark at the Sandlot Brewery in Denver, Colorado. Its bold flavor, bright explosion of color, and iconic orange slice ritual guarantee a one-of-a-kind beer experience perfect for spring weather. Opening day is right around the corner, so that means me, Jared, Pete will be at Fenway next week enjoying some ice-cold Blue Moons. Unfortunately, Tyler won't have any space to pick up a blue moon because he's always too busy double fisting L's. Tyler takes so many L's that when he buys Red Sox tickets, he has to buy two, so he has room to put all his L's in the seat next to him. Tyler takes so many L's that he has a group that follows him around called the L-Men. They're like the K-Men at Fenway, but instead of holding up K's, they hold up L's, and they add a new L every time Tyler takes another L during that day. It usually ends up being a lot of L's. From its refreshing flavor with Valencia orange peel for a subtle sweetness and hints of coriander, Blue Moon Belgian-style wheat ale is a one-of-a-kind beer that's made brighter. It's carefully crafted and full-flavored with refreshing notes and a smooth, creamy finish. Why strike out with the same old beer when you can get something one-of-a-kind? Best served with a signature orange garnish to showcase its beautiful hazy color, a beer this good only comes around once in a blue moon, but you can enjoy it all season long. Bring the ballpark to you for spring training. Blue Moon Belgian-style wheat ale is a one-of-a-kind every time. 
Get Blue Moon delivered by visiting get.bluemoonbeer.com slash Jared to see your delivery options. That's get.bluemoonbeer.com slash Jared. Blue Moon, made brighter. Celebrate responsibly. Blue Moon Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado Ale. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Thank you, Jake. Great ad read as always. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was a 10 out of 10. Uh, let's get into some spring training storylines. Let's talk about some spring training storylines because uh, I feel like this team has a ton of interesting storylines that wouldn't necessarily uh, become sports radio fodder. They're more interested if like Tom Brady took a shit this morning. Um, But we're going to start with the rotation. And when you start with the rotation, the Boston Red Sox rotation, very clearly, very obviously, the first name that will come up is Christopher Allen Sale. Uh, He did get rocked his last time out against Baltimore. I did see that. Oh, no. I knew it. I knew Chris Hill was going to suck. Couple of first inning home runs to the Baltimore Orioles. But I threw a tweet out there. I was like, listen, if he's still throwing 95, 96, I don't give a fuck if he's giving up home runs. I don't. It's spring training. Uh, I will always pivot to this. It's spring training excuse when guys are getting rocked because are you taking the ball? Yes. Is your velocity where it's supposed to be? Yes. Then I kind of check the box of command. Like with Tanner Houck, to what you were saying earlier, yeah, I've got, I've got some concern there because he's walking guys, he's plunking guys. Like I look at like that's the last box that I want to check is healthy, taking the ball, velocity, looking good. Is he controlling the baseball? Chris Sale, I mean, if you're catching barrels, man, you're fucking, you're pumping strikes in there. I like it. So I, that's my spin zone there. But obviously, you, like you don't want to be missing out over the heart of the plate. You can still throw a strike and, and not have your command, obviously. But am I concerned about it? No. Oh, he wasn't going to have a fucking zero ERA the whole spring. Boo-hoo. Uh, I, I just want him to continue making forward strides. Uh, I want him to continue to stay healthy and progress towards being... I don't think we're ever going to see 2017 Chris Sale again, but just like a, a version of who he who he should be. And the, like the fact that he's throwing 96 is is great for because if if he was throwing 91, 92, 93, then we would be hearing about it's going to be a new Chris Sale. Like get used to this version of Chris Sale. The old Chris Sale is gone. Dude's throwing 96. Like that's the Chris Sale that we know and love. And I'll add another thing. Like. Something I, I read it in Julian McWilliams piece. I heard Lou say it on the radio and I was like, oh, well, maybe he's just maybe misremembering or something. Sale hit 97 against Baltimore, which is a new high for him this spring. So that's awesome. Apparently, the changeup he said was like he was really feeling that he just had no slider. He couldn't get it where he needed to go. And we know what Chris Sale is. And like you said, if you look at the kind of strike zone maps or whatever, everything was in the middle of the plate. Whatever. I think it's more important for Chris Sale at this point. Work through a jam. He's going to get hit at some point. 
Like even when Chris Sale was at the top of the line, congrats. Every starter is going to go out there and give up five runs in two innings one day. And they're going to have to sit his ass down and call it what it is. Work through it and show me you can. Well, he gets hit around early, finishes the last two innings. Perfect. Scoreless. Battled back. Didn't cave in. Had to change things up and figure a way to get guys out. That's the whole point of spring training. There you can actually see the growth. That's it. And I think he mentioned mechanically. He was like, something was up with my front side and the slider. It just wasn't clicking. Cool. Go back to the drawing board and do it. But we've seen Chris Sale can miss bats. I know some people said, hey, he only struck out two guys. This is what I was worried about. If Chris Sale's pumping 95, 96 with that slider and he's getting feel for the changeup, we're good. He will be good. I'm not, like you said, 2017 Chris Sale, that's asking a lot. The comp I go back to a little bit is David Price when he got here, where it was, hey, David Price doesn't have the exact same stuff he used to. So when it's off, yeah, he's going to get hit hard sometimes. The margin of error gets smaller. I think that's just what it is for Chris Sale at this point. Um, when the stuff has played down a little bit, maybe the changeup isn't working what it once was. You're not hitting 99, 100. Yeah, there's going to be some times where he gets hit. That doesn't mean he can't be a guy who posts like a 3-3 to a 3-5 ERA for Yeah. Yeah. Like what he was when he came back in 21. He was great. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, Corey Kluber. Corey Kluber, the storyline there would be that... Um, which one are you going to get? Obviously, it's not Cy Young, Corey Kluber. He's a different guy. He's, uh, what, three or four years older than Sale? So he's like back end. Like this is uh, playing out the string, Corey Kluber. Um, but is a guy that can still give you innings. He can give you quality innings. I don't think that, you know, what I didn't like was how the Red Sox put him. It's not even like the Red Sox. Fight. It's nobody's fault. But or maybe you could blame Heim Bloom. I don't know. Uh, the whole opening day starter thing, it kind of like if that's your opening day starter, then the rest of your rotation must suck. Like, that's completely unfair. It to say that is kind of saying that guys like Brian Bayo and Garrett Whitlock don't have any potential to be good starting pitchers at the big league level, which is just not true. Like, the opening day starter thing is just, yeah, okay, we're gonna give the nod to a two time Cy Young Award winner who's a veteran in this league and is probably our best bet to give us the most innings. For the whole year, so let's get him out there first. But at the end of the day, you're not anointing him the best starting pitcher in your rotation. Like the, it, like it could be by I don't want even to call it a miracle. You know, if things fall your way. Chris Sale could be the best starter. Brian Bayo could be a breakout star. Garrett Whitlock could be a breakout star. You don't know. So the whole thing with Corey Kluber is: is he going to stay healthy? Because he's he's had his injuries. You know, last couple of years. Last year he was healthy. He took the ball more often than he didn't. But um, if he's healthy, I, I'm fine with Corey Kluber. Like, that's you know, it is what it is. A hundred percent. And I think when you mentioned staying healthy last year, the Rays were able to give him a ton of off days over the course of the year. Can he maintain that? I think the velocity has been the biggest thing people are kind of crying about this spring because, yeah, it's it's 86, it's 87, it's soft. And we're coming off watching Adam Wainwright do the same thing in the WBC. And it's clear there's limitations there for what it is, but that's where Corey Kluber is. He's going to be 37 this year. If you looked at the advanced metrics from a year ago, yeah, it was a 430 ERA. They said he should have been better. The FIP was 357. So can he pitch closer to that? If he's anywhere near four, I think the Red Sox are happy and doing circles. But if you get more from him, that's another thing that can be the difference between the Red Sox, you know, maybe getting in that playoff hunt to being closer to what they were in 2022. But yeah, the opening day stuff, sure. Complain, cry about it, do whatever. If you're ignoring the other parts of this rotation, that's on you. I'd be very scared of Brian Bayo and Garrett Whitlock. Mm. What about a guy like Cutter Crawford? 
I think he is the most fascinating arm with the Red Sox right now. I think you look at where the Red Sox are coming from. The whole thing with Cutter Crawford last year was, oh, look at his five-year array. He's terrible, yada, yada, yada. There was a seven-week stretch last season where he was your best starter by a mile, where he was carving up the Yankees and he was carving up the Astros. And people were like, wow. You know, everyone was talking about Josh Winkowski coming up and doing his thing. Well, it became about Cutter Crawford before he suffered that shoulder impingement and it kind of all collapsed. But to start the year, he looks like he has the inside track on the rotation. Josh Winkowski most likely to the bullpen. He could shine here. The Red Sox development team looks at him as like their poster child right now. Like, hey, you want to see a guy that was never high on a prospect rankings that people did not have a lot of expectations for. And you can turn him into a starter, into a legit piece moving forward. Cutter Crawford's our guy. Um, and I know that was part of their offseason program when they were going over their analytics and development and all that. I think Cutter Crawford, it's probably not a long term spot in the rotation, but could he be your multi inning arm playing alongside Tanner Houck, hopefully at one point, a Garrett Whitlock or Tanner Houck like role from the past? I do. I, I think he could profile greatly into that. Um, if what do you project the rotation to be with all like the setbacks? You've got Bayo, you've got Pavetta, you've got um, Whitlock. There are plenty of setbacks. Who were the first five starters out of the shoot? Yeah, so if we just go in order here, I'll go Kluber, Sale, Pavetta, Tanner, Cutter. Wait, say that again? So I'll go Kluber opening day, right? So if we're just doing the first yep. five games, Kluber, Sale, Pavetta, Tanner Houck, Cutter Crawford. Okay. Okay. But that's, I mean, like that, people will look at that and be like, Fuck. Oh my, like, say what you want about Tanner Houck, and we'll touch on him when we go through the previews here. He's a bat, he can be a back end starter. Is yeah. the difference between a guy who's like a four ish ERA and an elite bullpen arm? That's the Garrett Whitlock conversation we have all the time, right? Like, that's where you draw the line. You, they need one start, one start, and then Garrett Whitlock will be back. That's all you need. We're not asking for two weeks, three weeks, whatever. And I do think it'll be interesting if Tanner does not look good in that first start, but Cutter does you might see them really kind of reveal how they feel about both of those guys long-term. Do you, do you think that Tanner Howe can have a sub four this year? Out of the bullpen? Just all, in general. Yeah, all, 100%. All, all innings combined, sub four. Without a doubt. Okay, I'm with you. I'm a, I'm a high three guy. I, I, got him, I got him like high three, like three, 385, 390. Uh, I'll tell you right now, if he is a reliever for most of the year in a two or three, you know, kind of inning role, he'll be the best reliever in the bullpen. Wow. He will be your best arm. I truthfully believe that. I thought last wow. year he solidified the bullpen at the end. And that's no disrespect to Kenley Jansen, Chris Martin, John Schreiber. But I think Tanner Houck has legit closer stuff. You stretch it out, obviously, when you're in the rotation and you have to be, you know, a three or four pitch guy. And, you know, we'll do his storyline right now. What's the thing Tanner Houck's doing? He's working on his new pitches. We've been saying that for two or three years, right? Well, mm -hmm. the splitter doesn't do much for me. Now he's throwing a cutter. We saw with Corey Kluber. He added a cutter last year and it kind of, you know, reshaped his career a little bit. I haven't loved his cutter so far. Maybe it looks good tonight and I sound stupid, but I think by the end of the year, Tanner Houck will cement himself as one of the elite arms in the bullpen and someone who, I don't know if Kenley struggles. Maybe they go and say, all right, we'll kick Houck to that role and say, screw it. We need that dependability back there. Why are you banking on Kenley struggling? I'm not. Just, you know, bizarro world, something bad happens. Anything's possible. Mm. Well, I mean, he's going to have his meltdowns. Like, he's going to have course. his meltdowns. Uh, 
he has said himself the pitch clock is going to be a non-issue. It's been a non-issue in spring training, but it's a storyline. We'll get to that in the bullpen piece. Um, <clears throat> I mean, we hit on Cutter. We hit on Tanner. Um, Pavetta. I'll start. What with is that, that I face? <laughs> I don't. I don't know how to feel about Nick Pavetta. I, not Nick that. Pavetta has respect. been in the league long enough. He's been on this team long enough that he is the definition of you know what you're going to get. Like, That's it. You don't need no, to go I, into this season being like, is, this is the year that Nick Pavetta is just going to step up and he's going to be dominant or he's going to be like a frontline guy. Like he is what he is. Like he's a three, four, like on the lower end. Uh, he's a three on like a bad team. He's like a four five on a good team. Um, and he's not being asked to be a, a, a three really on this team. Like he's going to ask, he's going to be asked to give you a ton of innings if he can do that. Um, but he's not being asked to like be a dominant starter. No, it, I think, you know, storyline wise, if we're talking Pavetta, what he's been working on, it's a new curveball. He's throwing his curveball a lot harder now. Hopefully that stops those loops he was throwing. And it can be beautiful. Everyone likes that curveball that dropped in and buckled Juan Soto. He spent the offseason trying to change that. So what you've been seeing as he's battled this spring is that curveball. The velocity ticked up last year. He was like 93, 94. It's back up to 96. So if you're looking for positives, that's that. My biggest thing or what I when I say I really don't know what to make of Nick Pavetta is mid-April, he might be out of the rotation. And he's someone who I don't expect to really, you know, he's going to take it with kind of a chip on his shoulder. He takes a lot of pride in being a starter. How does he convert back into that bullpen and how does he accept it when Garrett Whitlock will come back after one turn and Bayo's back after that? You know, like things are going to change when James Paxson becomes part of this conversation. That's true. People are not talking enough about James Paxson. Tweak the uh, that was the hamstring. Hamstring tweak in spring training. His first his first uh, time pitching for the Boston Red Sox, not just his first spring training outing, but his first time pitching for the Boston Red Sox uh, after being signed over a year ago. Um, I still have high hopes just because of like the 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 velo thing. <clears throat> I mean, it's yes, he's older. Yes, he's had his injuries. Um, I don't expect him to be another guy like they've just had a collection of guys where it's like, we'll take what you can give us. We'll take it. We we have nine dudes that we can try to milk that cow for five starters worth of work. Like, that's the plan. Am I wrong? No, Frankenstein, a couple of these guys together and you get, you know, 15 starts out of Paxson, you get 20 ish, 25 out of sale. Uh, you know, you're going to have to manage Kluber and Whitlock and Bayo just kind of piece it together as the season goes along. Cutter Crawford will obviously play that element, too. Yeah, but I don't think the Red Sox before the injury were hoping to get, you know, 30 starts out of Paxson. I will say it feels like he is pretty far behind now. He's thrown, I think, two bullpens. The apparent thing that was said was a live BP would be next. I feel like Core would have updated us with something like that now. Maybe we hear that in the next day, but he's been on the mound twice. Then it needs to be a live BP, and then he can start you know, stretching out and following what Bayo just did and what Whitlock's been doing. So if we're saying Bayo's two turns through the rotation, probably safe to say Paxson's four, and four turns through the rotation, like, you know, we're talking end of April, early May. So that might be. I know when he got hurt, we were all like, oh, maybe it's a week or two weeks. Starting to feel like probably the first month of the season. For the most part, he's not going to be around. Yeah. 
the the month of April, you're going to see a lot of juggling of this rotation. And there, you know, I, I don't like to use casuals as a derogatory term, like an insult. Like, oh, you're just casual, blah, blah. But there are a lot of casual baseball fans. That's fine. Like, we'll we'll take it. If you're a casual baseball fan, you're you're kind of just loosely paying attention. You're probably not going to be keyed in <clears throat> on the fact that yeah, the Red Sox started the season with a rotation with some guys where it's like, yeah, who the fuck's that or why the fuck's he out there? But over time, when you put nine big league pitchers, Tyler absolutely fucking cut out Jake. I mean, what like the fact that he was he was talking, he was basically doing a, a celebration before he got to the finish line, which is just classic Tyler. This is what I said. I was like, if I have this audio of you gloating before we even start the episode, I'm definitely going to use it when you cut yeah. out 30 minutes in. Yeah, he uh, he made it to 47 in 30 seconds. Um, there you go. He's trying to come back in. This is classic. Tyler was he'll he'll uh, he'll get cut out, but then he'll try to come in like seven times before he actually gets back in. And some of the times when he cuts out, he can hear us talking shit about him, which is perfect. Because he deserves it after doing that victory lap like 15 minutes into the podcast. Uh, But the point that I was making was, if you have nine or 10 guys capable of starting big league games competing for five spots, eventually that's going to shake out to be a decent rotation. I'm not saying it's going to be lights out, dominant. Uh, You know, I'm I'm hoping for somewhere, somewhere in the 15. (laughs) Is this is this too? Uh, is the bar too low here, Jake? If I say that I want the Red Sox team ERA to be somewhere from 15 to like 20th best in baseball. I mean, based on what we've seen, I feel like that's it's depressing, but it's probably an accurate goal. Yeah, <laughs> like I, I'm going to look at it right now. What what do you think last year the Red Sox starting pitcher ERA was for the team? Like the overall number or the rank? The over uh the like the rank. Where did they rank in team ERA last year for starters? Twenty-two. They were twenty-fifth. <laughs> so that's a that's a good goal to have. That's a good goal to have to be somewhere between fifteenth and twentieth. I feel like you can you can get away with that. Right, let me let me look again. I'll look at the team ERA between 15 and 20. How many of these were playoff teams? The Twins, the Phillies, uh, the Blue Jays were 15th. So that's actually, you know what? That is my goal to be between 15th and 20th in team ERA. Seems like a reasonable goal. And if you're welcome back, Tyler, woo! Cut that shit. Jake, yeah. I'm serious. Cut, Jake, cut that shit. I'm serious. Please, Woo. please cut that shit. No, 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 no. What? Cut that shit, please. What? I, what? I can't. I can't. I, I, I talk so much shit. I please. You got. You got to get rid of that. I, I can't. You talk way too much shit to have that happen. I'm we didn't even get to the second ad read yet. Uh, I, I'd like to apologize to everybody listening right now. They that, said no. that was. Uh, whoa. I'll, I'll save it for the Reddit. Suck on it. Oh, no. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, did you hear my take while you were gone? I came back and I heard something about Team ERA, but I was too busy freaking out and trying to piece everything together here. Um, I said my goal for the Red Sox rotation is to have an ERA 
between 15th and 20th in baseball. Okay. Is that is that A is it is it reasonable and B is the bar too low? No, I don't think the bar is too low. What they were like 26 last year. I think it was like 25th. a 4 or 5. 25th, so, so I, yeah. For whatever reason, I can't fucking like ESPN used to be able to do all these different sortable things and I don't I don't have access to my database that I normally do. I need to get a new login. Uh so I only have team ERA so including all of it. But last year they were 25th in team ERA, but of like the the 15 to 20 teams, the Blue Jays, the Phillies and the Twins are all in there. Yeah, I, I think upside is not the problem with the Red Sox rotation. If they stay healthy, they're going to be in that range. I, I have no doubt about it. Like Chris Sale, we, we've talked about our expectations. We're going through everybody here. You don't have anyone who's a straight clunker or anyone who should absolutely blow as long as they're healthy. Now, if you fall onto reserves and we're talking about Brian Mata and Brandon Walter and Chris Murphy having to make significant starts to patch everything Josh Winkowski, yeah, that then you're going to get into that category. But we're talking about a bullpen, which... Has the talent to be elite. It's going to be a little bit of a tough start to the season for them, but it should be one of the better bullpens in baseball. If you have a rotation that's just average, you should be right in that range. Should you not? I guess. I mean, I, I, in my head, 15 to 20. I mean, that's, that's not good, but apparently you can still get into the playoffs. So I, I, I would say, yeah, I'd say if you're talking with the lineup, like your lineup's probably going to be in the, you know, you're not going to be of the elite of the elite. So you would hope that somewhere along those lines, you can make up for it elsewhere. But last they, year, if the top half of the league and run scored. Yeah. So so there you go. You, you look at it in terms of I'm asking, it, will they be top uh-oh. half of the league and run scored? Yeah, 100 percent. I 100 percent. Yes, I, I think they're going to hit. I, I really do not Tyler. have any significant concerns, but put it add it Tyler. to the wall. They were yep. ninth. They were ninth last year. Yes. And they were ninth last year after they completely had no production from center field as Kiki Hernandez battled, you know, different injuries and then nothing from first base, nothing from first base, nothing from right field. Jackie Bradley Jr. No disrespect to Trevor Story. He was a league average bat. That's exactly what he was. So if you're getting you you and Coley hate Trevor Story. I love Trevor Story. Don't ever put that on my name. I am a Trevor Story guy. Uh, But Tristan Cassis, if he hits like we expect, bitch. No, I said last year he hit like a basic bitch, which is Jake, facts. Jake, did Tyler just call uh, Trevor Story a basic bitch? Yeah, it was hard to listen to. <laughs> it was pretty hard. <laughs> it was difficult to listen to. There's Fuck members you guys. of Trevor Story's family that listen to this podcast. No. Trevor Story knows that I fought Coley to protect him, and I, I do not follow those yeah, same you, you literally, uh, evil all thoughts. You did, all you did was rip Coley off of Trevor Story in, in a barroom brawl just so you could jump on top of him and throw haymakers in his face yourself. Nah, I took the elbow to Coley's head and then I just started coming down with him like, uh, eh, eh. Fuck. Uh, but no, say what you will. Trevor Story was an average bat last year. If Tristan Cassis hits, you know, it is above average first baseman. Awesome. If we're, we're all on the Verdugo breakout bandwagon, are we not? 15 pounds skinnier. Cora says, even though he didn't hit a ton at the WBC, had some big hits, but didn't hit overall a ton. They like what they saw. It looks like he kept his body where it needed to be. Awesome. Can we get in center field? Adam Duvall. Anyone see the four homers he's hit this spring? Like, like he's hitting tanks. And a lot of people after one week were like, oh, this guy blows. Pete Abe couldn't even update his tweet on him. Took him frigging two weeks to catch up on it. So yeah. like the, the, that's the stuff I'm looking at. If you get even what those guys have been for a majority of their careers in Verdugo and in Duval, 
you'll be in a much better spot than you were a year ago, or at least in the same spot, I should say. I forgot about a, a Pete Abe tweet from like, I think it was like 2014 or 2013 that he was tweeting about like, guess that ass on Barstool. Oh my. Yeah. Real nice guy. Jesus. Fucking pervert is what he is. I'm uncomfortable just hearing this. Yeah. I, I mean, if he deleted it, I've got the screenshot, by the way. <laughs> Definitely deleted it. I'm sure he did, but I've got it. Pervert. Absolute pervert. Uh, has seen plenty of ass, but has not seen uh, front real life before. Ass. That too. What? Nothing. Hey, yo, what the fuck? I think Pete is one of those guys that uh, <laughs> I feel like do you, what do you put the odds if, if the DraftKings Sportsbook had odds <laughs> on, uh, on Pete Abe ever agreeing to appear on this podcast? Let's just say in the next five years. What do you got those odds at? Plus one million. Do you think a million? Yes. Is there a, what? A billion? I was going to say plus like a hundred thousand. No, dude, what he would, you would have to give him a sum of money that would probably alter his life. I think, I mean, this, the, the rift that exists, which is entirely his fault. uh, It might get to him so much that he's like, all right, like, let's settle it. Jared, he hasn't pissed in three weeks. (laughs) He legit has not pissed since he ran into you in the bathroom. He's been holding his piss for almost a month. Do you think he's going to come on this podcast and chop it up with you? Nah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even agree to it. That plays into my decision as well. Plus 1 million. Plus 1 million. Um, (laughs) it'd be worth it to throw a couple bucks on that. Please. You're pretty big. Make it interesting. Yeah. But listen, there is so much basketball to watch right now. It's crazy. And like a ball with a funky spin, it can be hard to get a handle on it all. Now. You can stay on top of all the madness with Xfinity 10G Network. With Xfinity 10G, you can power an entire house full of devices with ultra-low lag. So you and everyone you know can stream every single game at the same time and never miss a shot. You can probably also have internet that doesn't kick you off of this podcast. And if you're on the go, Xfinity will still be right there with the the assist with millions of Wi-Fi hotspots. Introducing the the next-generation 10G network only from Xfinity. The future starts now. Learn more at Xfinity.com slash 10G. Uh, Is there anyone else that we missed in the rotation conversation? I think there's two names. We got Kluber, Sale. Oh, we didn't hit Bayo. Oh, yeah, we, we got to hit Bayo, we got to hit Whitlock, and we got to hit Josh Winkowski, I think, technically, We're even not. though I think he's going to start the year in the bullpen. Uh, I don't want him on my team. Josh Winkowski? Yeah. Oh, oh, Jared. What? You're are you going to s- fucking try and convince me that he's good at baseball? Are you sitting down right now? Oh, what is he? He's got, like a, he's got a 117 fucking fip zip in Listen, spring I, I got nothing for you on that. Well, he has looked good this spring, and he has a new slider that's generating a little more swing and miss. I'm not, turn, I'm not telling you I'm a Josh Winkowski guy, but right. I think he's going to be on the team on opening day. I think he'll be in the bullpen as their long guy. What are you, you going to tell me right now? What I just told you. That he's making the team? Like, I, yeah. I mean... Yeah. <sighs> 
I, I think he makes the team. He, I don't think he'll be up here the whole month, but I think no, he will. I don't think so either. There's so many fucking guys that are competing for a starting role uh, in the rotation where eventually it'll just sort itself out to where the guys that they start the season with in the rotation will then have to pivot to the bullpen, which means that you're just pushing down all the shit that's going to start the season. By the way, like I know that I shit on him a lot, and we'll talk about this in the, in the bullpen piece of, of this uh, series. I, I find Caleb Ort to be interesting. I do. Oh, now I'm going to tell you to fuck off. You're going to fi- disrespect Josh Winkowski, but give me this. First of all, Josh Winkowski sucks. He has a piss poor attitude. Oh, I would say huh. that to his face. I would say that to his face. I fucking I tweeted it. I'm not hiding behind these takes. Like, you can't tell me that. You know what? You know what? It makes perfect fucking sense why you like Josh Winkowski because he pouts too. You oh, both are fuck fucking, you. Yep. 100%. And that's probably why I don't like him because I'm looking at Josh Winkowski and I'm like, don't pout, figure it out. This dude, when he would get knocked around, would sit on the bench and fucking pout. He's a, he's the biggest powder I've ever seen in the big leagues, at least from the Red Sox perspective. He would get knocked around and then sit in the dugout on the bench while he still has runners on base and not be on the fucking top step rooting for his teammates pouting and not figuring it out. And I fucking hate that. You know that I hate that. So that's why I have no place. I have no love in my heart for Josh Winkowski until he proves me wrong or he changes his fucking attitude. So a guy like Caleb Ort, I shit on him because he sucks. He hasn't gotten good results. But at the end of the day, he still throws triple digits. Like Pat Light throws triple digits. He sucks. Some guys figure it out. Some guys don't. I still think that there's potential for Caleb Ort to figure it out before he ends up with a fucking business podcast. Yeah. Wow. Uh, That felt very uh, personal. But uh, the way I'll put it is, is someone who pouts. You deal with my pouting because you believe in me. Right, Jared? Yeah. Now, I don't believe in Josh Winkowski. But you believe in Caleb Ort more? Caleb Ort's been getting his dick kicked in. He throws throws 100. As you told me, Pat Light did. And he's been out of fucking baseball all these years. And now does business. I don't know about Caleb Ort's drinking habits, if they exist or not. Pat Light, he had his dick in the dirt. He was fucking drunk all the time and he was thinking about business. He can't be out on the mound thinking about like which fucking bar in Southie you're going to buy while trying to get big league outs. Caleb Ort will be lucky if he is on this 40 man roster come opening day. Never mind the friggin opening day roster. You know he is the first guy Someone's that's going to be in Caleb Ort. Someone's oh, going to believe first? in Caleb Ort. It's oh, congrats. Be I'm Someone's happy to uh, believe in him. Oh, Jake, what, what, Jake, what's getting you, Jared? Jake, do you believe in Caleb Don't, Ort? Jake, don't put this on your resume, please. He throws 100. He throws 100, Jake. Oh, my God. He hit 102 against the Let's fucking throw Jake. a party. Let's throw a fucking Caleb party. Caleb Ort. No, Caleb no, no. Ort. Fuck Caleb Ort. No. Yes. Nope. Yes. Nope. Tyler. Tyler, you're I'm, wrong about this one. Everybody you're hates absolutely. Caleb Ort. I don't. I'm everybody. Jared, you have gone so far. You're going to make people agree with me. That's how far no, you've gone I, right no, no, now. No, I, I think that you, like the people that are there are so many people against Caleb Ort that I think it's it's going to start a groundswell of support for him. And, you and tried to do this right with here. Ryan Brazier and it just died out. You I just gave this up. Ryan Brazier. Oh, what a week ago. You're like, if someone needs to support Ryan Brazier in this world, I'll be I, that gonna guy. Be gonna be me. Oh. All right. Well, at least Ryan Brazier, you can be like, well, there's there's a stretch of major league success. Caleb Ort's trying to put it together in spring training and he's Ryan getting Brazier shelled. Doesn't draw 100. Listen, listen, you know what? Caleb Ort's working on a new pitch. That's why he's getting shelled. Oh, well, what is that pitch called? The, the fuck the Tyler. That's what it's called. The <laughs> FT. The FT. He's throwing FTs out there. They're fucking zipping and zagging. 
And listen, it's it's gonna work out. I, you you there's some things that happen on this podcast that are just unexplainable in in the in the universe. Caleb Ort might be the fucking Rollades relief man of the year, and they don't even make that award anymore. I'm pretty sure. Like no one even uses Rollades, but uh, the Rollades relief man of the year. I'm gonna tell you right now, Caleb Ort's gonna be in the conversation. Now, Jared, you know how bad Josh Winkowski was last year, like how much he absolutely sucked. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? What? His ERA was legit a half a run better than Caleb Ortz last year. Josh Winkowski was that bad and he was still half a run better. Keep mm-hmm. in mind, you know, Caleb Ortz fucking 32 year or 31 years old. Josh Winkowski, he's 24. You know what? I- I remember a little birdie telling me that Josh Winkowski once hit 99 in the AFL in a relief role. Breaking news. What? We got breaking news, Tyler. Oh, no. Oh, no. We got breaking news. What is it? The World Baseball Classic final ratings are in. Give it to me. Including the postseason. Japan's win outdrew all but one Major League Baseball game on FS1 last year. Game four, the Phillies Padres NLCS averaged 4.88 million. The last regular season MLB game with a larger audience was the first Field of Dreams game two years ago. And outside of that, no regular season game has had as many viewers since 2011. Not bad for a tournament that apparently nobody gives a fuck about, right? Mm hmm clownery takes I'm, I'm happy that that's out there now people can actually put a little respect in hey this is just we're just at the start of this you thought the hype was crazy the last week or two or a couple weeks for this wbc watch what happens in 2026 i think we will see even more players i think the pitchers who i thought you did a pretty good job talking about garrett cole and kind of pointing to him as someone like verlander scherzer well, he's yeah. fat he's fat come on i'm not disagreeing with you but like you 2026 know, Garrett Cole could be morbidly obese, if we're being honest. Well, imagine how many homers Devers is going to have off of him at that point. He might just retire. Crazy, man. But, like, you know, I, I could excuse Scherzer and Verlander. Like, they're old. Wayne Wright's out there throwing friggin' 86. Like, save those bullets. Garrett Cole, what the fuck are you doing? Hmm. What were we talking about? Caleb Ort? Josh Winkowski? <laughs> Yeah, don't Back talk to, to me about Josh Winkowski. Please. Let me just add the punctuation to this. Josh Winkowski will work in a long relief role. He'll be the guy who kind of branch. You're going to need it early in the season. I think Cutter Crawford will eventually take his role when he gets booted out of the rotation. But God, I am not protect. So you would DFA Josh Winkowski before you DFA Caleb Ort. Yes. Mr. Kravis. Mm-hmm. All right. I've had enough. I won't allow that. And they're booing you. They're not booing me. Jared, you just got fired. You just got fired as GM of the Boston Red Sox. Guys, what do you think about Tyler? Oh, wow. Jesus. Any other thoughts? Wow. Caleb Ort will be DFA'd a week from now. I'll tell you right now. What do you have against Caleb Ort? Nothing. He's just the first guy who has to go. They're going to have to make 40-man moves. All right. put Put yourself in both of their positions, right? Say you're Tyler Milliken and you're in Red Sox spring training camp. Nice. And... You put yourself in the position of Caleb Ort and they come to you and say, you know what? We're sorry. We're designating you for assignment. <laughs> your first, your first, that was response, me, your first response would be, but I throw a hundred. Like, 
Josh Winkowski actually sucks. Like, no, but so does Johnny down me? the block. I can find a million Johnny guys that throw 100. On Johnny no, on the block, no, no, no. I can sign for nothing. He doesn't cost no, a 40 man spot. No, no, no. That's not true. Oh, we're, we're wowing over guys that throw 100 right now. I'm just saying, don't sleep on Caleb Ward. Because he I will, feel like everybody is. He will not. Maybe, you know what? He might get DFA'd and nobody will pick him up. There's a chance of that. So maybe he will be sitting in our system. If you think that a guy who throws 100 gets DFA'd and no one picks him up, if your name's not Pat Light, you're going to end up with a job somewhere. Yeah, m- most likely another team will hopefully think they can piece it together. I just don't think it will be here. Who do you? So that's part of the conversation we need to have, Jared. There's what? at least a couple roster spots. You need mm-hmm. one for. Uh, you need one for. Um, where am I going? Ramel Tapia. You need one there. I think Jorge Alfaro. I'm now kind of hopping off that train a little bit. I think Connor what? Wong is going to be ready for opening day, not in a disrespectful way, but it seems like Wong is going to be in games. He's been playing on the backfields. He's been hitting. It looks like he has a shot. I think with Alfaro, and this goes off Chris Hatfield's tweet the other day, from what he's hearing and he's been down there, nobody really thinks Alfaro can be a catcher in the big leagues, at least right now in more than an emergency role. They think the defense is rough. And I was not super impressed with the pass balls getting by him the other day. He can hit, man. I I truthfully believe he can hit a bit. But I think the Red Sox will look at it and say, what are the chances someone's willing to take advantage of that upward mobility clause that's coming up in a couple of days for a guy that isn't very strong defensively and has no experience with the pitching staff? You know, he's going to be coming in and have no, unless it's a team that he's been with, maybe that changes it. But I think there's a fair chance. The Red Sox are in a bit of a 40 man crunch. Yeah, too much talent. I, uh, I am a big proponent of Jorge Alfaro just for the vibes. Like no disrespect to Reese McGuire and Connor Wong, but they're kind of boring as fuck. Don't do that to Reese. Uh, Reese is a hell boring. of a guy. He's boring. I like him. I've met him. I've introduced myself. We, we casually had a conversation. He's a nice guy, uh, but not a lot of vibrant personality coming out of there. And Connor Wong, like I'm not going to forget this. That interview that Christian Royo did with him in the clubhouse where he didn't even crack a smile when it was a funny bit like that. We can't have that. Whoa. We can't have that. We can't have that. I'm not saying we can't have him on the team. I'm saying like we can't have like the I'm not I'm not going to be like having fun moving forward. Uh, Making an announcement, but like I'm not I'm here for all business. Like see what happens when you're all business. Then you fucking end up like Pat Light. Okay, it's hard for me to argue that point. I do think with Connor Wong, though, Rich Hill talked about it. One guy who could have, you know, kind of evolved, become a leader in that club as an important voice. He picked Connor Wong. I think that says something. He has a real ability to work with pitchers. And based off what the Red Sox have done the last couple of years, that relationship with pitchers and defense has been key to them. I like Alfaro. I just think they're going to be willing to take the risk of him leaving if they think Wong's going to be ready. It's just how many 40 man spots are you going to have to open up here? How many guys are you going to have to get rid of? Right? Like you're going to add Tapia, Alfaro, and potentially with Jolie going down for probably six to eight weeks. Jolie's. Yes. Sorry. Ian Uh, Brown an hour ago just tweeted Connor Wong is a full go tomorrow. There you go. It feels like he's going to be able to get ready in time. It's no disrespect to Alfaro. It's just. Between Hatfield saying he's hearing that no one's really buying the defense down there, that worries me a little bit. Mm. Almost hit a homer in that Baltimore game that sale pitched in, though. 
Well, um, that's had nothing to do with the rotation. Uh, Brian Bayo. Brian Bayo, the Red Sox best pitching prospect to come along since John Lester. I think this is the year Brian Bayo has a chance. And, you know, coming off injuries, we know. Clay Buckles. Yeah, that's probably a better way to go about it. Um, but I think with Brian Bayo coming off forearm tightness, we're always going to be sitting here a little nervous, at least early in the season. But I think this is the chance for Brian Bayo to emerge and show that I'm a top of the rotation type arm. Top 25 prospect last year before he graduated. I don't think it's crazy to think he'll be the best picture or best pitcher on the entire Red Sox staff by the end of this season. The runway's there for him. I think they're going to let him take it. It's just, is he willing to pick up and rock with it? He's not going to get screwed on the Babbitt block like we saw last year. I think we're going to see that true talent level. And after an offseason of working with Pedro Martinez, where what does Bayo say the first thing that he kind of learned from Pedro? How to pitch inside. Jared, as someone who lived during the Pedro era, I know that makes you feel something. Pedro, I mean, like, I think we, Pat Light talked about that, about how, like, his... um his philosophy behind pitching inside. Like it's kind of crazy that Pat light got pitching advice from Pedro (laughs) Martinez, but he, I can't remember the exact phrasing, but he was talking about like how Pedro taught him how to pitch inside. And it's like, worst case that happens is you're going to fucking hit him. Like whatever. (laughs) He's like, okay. And I think with Bayo, like we talk about guys who don't have the makeup, who are not super confident. I'd put him in that same category as Tristan Cassis. And Cora said that after his start, it's like this guy just, he believes he belongs here. He does not think he's, above his head or anything like that. He just, he's ready to dominate. He's ready to do his thing. And I love Garrett Whitlock more than anyone. I really do. But I think by the end of the year, we'll look at Brian Bayo and say, wow, the Red Sox had a top of the rotation arm finally emerge. And, you know, we'll be hoping and talking, can they get an extension done so that we don't have to ride this pony down the line and let him only get more and more and more expensive. Is, is Clay Buckholtz really the last top pitching prospect to emerge from the Red Sox system. Let's say Bayo is that guy. Uh, you can't count Whitlock, obviously, even though he's could no. become a really good starter. No. Felix Dubron. <laughs> right. You're not going to consider Eddie that because he got dealt here in the Andrew Miller trade. Mm-hmm. What else is left? Tanner Houck, I think, is suited for the bullpen. Mm. Yeah. It's nobody <laughs> else. Yeah, Alan Webster, Ruby De La Rosa, like none of is, those guys. Is the criteria that they had to have been drafted and developed by the Red Sox? I think in this context, when people refer to it, usually. Because, you know, if you're just saying an arm they developed, well, Eddie wasn't in the big league. So, you know, he was a fine starter for a stretch. So was Felix DeBron. You know, Felix was a back end arm for, what, three or four years here, whatever it was. Hold on. Let, let me pull up some Felix Dubron stats. Let's put some respect on his name real quick. Felix Dubron. I know he oh. started. He uh. started uh, the the game that Manny came back for the first time with the Dodgers. Felix Dubron started that game. Okay, that makes sense. All right, Felix Dubron was worse than I remember. Actually, I, I don't know yeah. why in my head I thought. What are he was the numbers? A little you bit fucking better. idiot. What are the numbers? Okay. Well, would you like to guess, or do you want me just to say it? Four seven nine ERA. That is incredible. It was a 482. That very good work, Jared. Now, I will come in here to defend myself. It was a 428 FIP. So probably a little bit better than what that ERA actually was. I was off by fucking three percentage points. It's pretty damn good. Pretty damn good. And a big appearance in the 2013 postseason. Yeah. Yeah. He I don't remember him standing out in the playoffs, so he must have been okay. 
Felix Dubron. I mean, like, yeah. Who the fuck? Else? Like, Justin Masterson? It's a tough one. That's another one where it's like, you Starter, got a little taste of it, time. and then you flipped him for Victor Martinez. Yeah, like, he was he was more of a guy with Cleveland than he ever was here. I mean, he came back around, but, like, wasn't really much of a guy. No, he got his dick kicked in. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, that's really it. So, if Brian Bayo can be that, and I just, I don't think he's a three or a four. I think he's better than that. I truthfully do. And That's fucking pathetic. Like John Lester got called up in 2006 or no was yeah six because I was uh Papelbon got called up in 05 as a starter became the best reliever in baseball not named Mariano Rivera in 2006 and I was on vacation in Disney when John Lester got called up his big league debut was when I was in fucking Disney 2006 <sighs> 15 um, starts that first season too. Hmm. Yeah. That's crazy. I was a junior in high school the last time the Red Sox called up a guy that became like a fucking absolute stud. Because Clay Buckholtz was like good at times, not great times. He was very yeah. off and on. And that's kind of why I went Lester. Like we're talking every single year, dependable, you know, top of the rotation arm. Like, yeah, Lester was that Buckholtz. Yeah, well, there were some times where he was that top of the rotation arm, but yeah, super volatile. He, he, oh, he was he was like a fucking weird freak injury away from starting the 2013 All Star game. Clay Buckolds was my favorite Red Sox player for a significant stretch. You're as he rocked number fucking eleven. Fucking idiot! Tyler. How am I an idiot? What's your problem? I love players that have potential but fail to reach it on a regular basis. But I can always dream and think like, oh, this is maybe it. I fucking love Franchi Cordero, Jared. Are, I, are like we, Franchi. I like Franchi. He's another one. Now he he didn't have the height or the you know highs of a clay buckholds but imagine, we had two months imagine watching clay buckholds get absolutely shellacked in 2015 being like there goes my guy all That's right my guy right there <laughs> i will say it was more in the earlier era of like 2007 to like 2013 you know okay. 2013 as you said dude 174 era absolutely mm-hmm. dealing out there mm-hmm. like those were good times in the clay yeah. buckholds era and i will say Ballsy postseason start from Clay in that 2013 World Series throwing. What was he throwing like 87, 88 at that point? Come on now, Clay. Found a way. Come on now, Clay. Hey, I, I would be careful with the way you speak about him. If I you like hope Clay. To, no, I, we, I told you we fucking made up. The, the, so, Do you want to ruin it? Do you want to ruin it? With the no, way you're I don't. Right now? I don't. I don't. I don't. So here's here's and it all makes sense now. This, this ties back to a conversation that we just had. I didn't like Clay because of his body language. Clay was always just like, he's always down in the dumps. He always looked like his cat just got shot by a fucking shotgun in the face all the time. Josh Winkowski has shitty body language, bad attitude. Clay Buckholtz had shitty body language. Like I just, and then, and then the thing that used to drive me nuts about Buckholtz was after the game, like, you know, you'd have fucking Nelson Cruz hit a 473 foot home run off him, three run shot to win the game. And then he would go in front of the media and be like, well, it was a good pitch. <laughs> it's like, no, it wasn't. Well, John Farrell would double down with him as well and tell him how good. It yeah, was. it had a good Christmas. Yeah, fucking uh, that. He used to do that all the time. Anytime that he would give up a bomb, but it would be like, oh, it was in the strike. It was a good pitch. Like that was the pitch that we wanted. You just, you just hit it like, no, dude, like don't even if you truly believe that because it is possible to make a good pitch. Like you can throw a pitch right on the black, right on the corner. And you made the pitch that you wanted to make, but Mike Trout just muscled it out the other way, like around the pole. Three run shot, game's over. Like that can happen. But when it happens all the time, Clay, then that's your fault, dude. 
Uh, so. It's fair. That That is an interesting comp, the, the pouting. I will say, though, from one powder to another powder that you are a we, fucking powder. I can pout at times. Oh, I'll own it. I'm a man. Yeah. Uh, Jaron Duran did some pouting last year. He didn't. I didn't like it, but I but called him out on it. You did. And you called. We talked about Winkowski at that time, but we saw Jaron Duran came back, made some changes. Josh Winkowski made some changes. He added a slider or at least changed it up a bit. And now he's having some success. He's missing bats in a bullpen role. I'll take him over Caleb Ward. Final thought. You know what? What are you going to do when he gets DFA'd in a week? Um, he's not. You're going to follow him. You're going to go to whatever team he's going. Yeah. Yep. Wow. I'm an old. You're going to die on the Caleb Ward Hill. Yep. He'll be working with Business Pat in two to three years. No, he won't. He's going to be 100 for the Boston Red Sox. Uh, uh, according to my sources, they're already talking. Pat Light and Caleb Ward. I've heard. That's what I'm hearing. I'll call Pat right now. Please don't. I'm begging you. Just Pat told me not to tell anyone about this. Okay. Oh my God. Hmm. Don't you don't you don't have to do this. No one's asking you. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do it. Okay. I'm not gonna do it. (sighs) I feel better now. No one message Pat about this, please, or send any DMs to him or he has a lot going on. We don't want to make things yeah, worse on him. He's a lot on his plate. He's, really, he's dealing with a lot right now. Pat Light. I'm excited for the new studio. It's almost done. We just put the carpet down uh, a couple days ago. Yeah, I will say this about my house. I need, I need someone to come in here and like suck all the air out and blow it out. Because the, the amount of like... So I did brick on the walls in the studio. And then I did tile in my bedroom, but he cut the brick and the tile in the house. So now all that dust is just spread throughout the entire house. So every day, all I can taste is like chalk and I breathe it in and it, I just, I just, my mouth and my li- all I can taste is chalk because of this podcast studio. So I'm literally dying for the content. Um, how, how do you can you even fix that how do you get rid of dust I think it's like I'm gonna have to do because most of it's probably on the floor and then like I kick it up when I like walk around so I need to have someone come in and do like a deep clean like vacuum the couches like shit like that and then whatever like fucking like vacuum and clean like the floors so that it gets rid of all the dust um, but for right now I like I, I have a headache every single day because <laughs> Like of all this fucking toxic dust that I'm just constantly breathing in. Uh, so, yeah, hopefully we get that resolved soon. But we put the carpet down in the studio. We did the black brick walls. Um, we're getting the uh, the graffiti artist to come in soon. Uh, I got the mounts. for. I bought like a dining room table. I got the mic arms. We're mounting all the mic arms to the table. Uh, we had some uh, some folks from DraftKings come to the studio to take a look at what we need for cameras. We're doing lighting in there. It's it's basically going to be like, objectively speaking, it's going to be the best podcast studio I've ever worked in. I'm going to be very hurt if I'm not one of the first people to ever record a podcast there, if not the first, um, considering this podcast. And, you know, mm-hmm. there's distance between you and the other podcasts you do. I am a little bit. What's the word? Geography? Ge- ge- Geographically uh, close. Yeah. Thank you. That, that, that was the word I was looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I am a little worried about this dust thing, though. I don't know if I can come there until that's taken care of because I, I'm going to wanna... take care of it. Like, what's today? Wednesday? Yes. 
I'm taking care of this by Friday because I literally cannot breathe in my fucking house. Every I day. applaud you for not pouting about it. Like personally, me, I probably would have just dealt with the fumes and just, you know, see what happens. Maybe something cool would happen. Maybe something bad would happen. I just um, started like hallucinating. Maybe you should keep them there then. Mm-hmm. You don't have to spend money on things that make you hallucinate at that point. It can't be good. It just can't be good. What's been happening to my lungs. Can't be. Do you have healthy lungs, Jared? I don't smoke cigarettes unless Xander Bogarts goes to the Padres. The amount of cigarettes you did smoke at that time, though, might have been enough damage of 20 to 30 years of smoking. Fair. I think that's even more reason you need to get someone in there to clean. Probably tomorrow. We're going to go with Friday. We're going to get someone to, to do it on Friday. Uh, yeah. It's, Put it uh, on record. If Jared dies before Friday because he didn't get taken or he didn't take care of this, Tyler cared enough to try and help and try to did. persuade him the other way. You did. Great friend, Tyler Milliken. Mm-hmm. You did do that. Um, that's everyone, right? In the rotation, we pretty much hit everybody. Yeah, I think so. Hold on, let me pull up the depth chart here. But yeah, no one else is coming to mind. Oh, Whitlock. We got to talk Whitlock. Oh, dude, why are you trying to avoid this? Did you not enjoy the Garrett Whitlock experience? The first he started for the first time the other day, Jared. Got touched up a little bit in the first due to some bad win slash defense, but he looked good. 92 to 94 hit 95. But I'll set the storyline. Garrett Whitlock, former starter in the minor leagues before he was taken rule five by the Red Sox. Now finally has a chance to be fully built up. They've taken him slow with his hip, but as he says, he feels like a new boy. Tanner Houck has told you no one was more injured than Garrett Whitlock. Like when you talk to those two guys last year, only going to miss hopefully one turn through the rotation could have been ready to start. And I think the Red Sox aren't saying, you know, this guy's going to be a number one or a number two. He needs to be our ace. Can you be a workhorse for us? Can you be that dependable number three starter in the middle and just be, you know, that three, five, three, six kind of ERA guy. And listen, we took care of the bullpen for you, Garrett. We took care of it. So don't worry about that. It's not going to be like it was last year where we're shifting you back and forth. And guess what? You want to be a starter, Garrett. So we're going to give you that opportunity because we think you have that mix. And that's it. He says his mechanics are in a better place. He's getting movement again. This is his chance to kind of run with that. And if Brian Bayo becomes that top of the rotation arm, I think we'll feel pretty good if we're saying, all right, Garrett Whitlock's your three moving forward. Yeah. Oh, my God. Tyler, listen. Talk to me. He's a reliever. It's okay. I'm not going to fight you on this. I'm not going to argue with you about this. I'm willing to see it through. I, I want to see what he looks like as a starter. I just don't want it to cost me my enjoyable season. That's all. Like you said, I thought you put it well. If it was a year like last year where you have aspirations to win a World Series and those things and you're trying this experiment then, yeah, I'd sit there and question you a bit. It's a bridge year. So let's figure it out. How long that leash is? Jared, I think it's a long leash. Your leash seems pretty short. You, you seem like if no. you saw a couple starts and it didn't work, you'd be good. No, no, I would say. Two months. Yeah. Yeah. At the end of May, if it's apparent that it's just not working out then I think that's when they start having the conversation. Like they might give them until like the all-star break. Like I think 
I think, you know, you need two months worth of a sample size before you can start making the conversation uh, legitimate. And then you probably give him another month because what if he turns it around? Like, you're not going to be like, all right, well, you had like a good like, you know, two, two out of three starts one in June. We're good. Like you had a stinker in between. Um, I think it has to be like noticeably not working out through June to make a move. But I think the conversation needs at least through May to even start. That's actually very level headed. And I applaud you for that. Now I'm a level headed guy. You are. You are. I, I don't give you credit for that. But I want to throw you a bone here a little bit and see if does this bother you sitting 92 to 94 in that first traditional yeah, start. First not following I, I like. No, not right now. No. But if I see that as first time out, then yes, because my whole thing with Garrett Whitlock going to the rotation instead of staying in the bullpen is that they're like talk about the injuries all you want. But I was looking at the numbers even before, like there was like an injury to be talked about and there was a noticeable difference. Like there's a note like it like there uh, you can't just take. For example, this is an extreme example. You can't just uh, take a reliever that throws 100 miles an hour and then put him in the rotation and expect him to be as electric over the course of a full start as he is in the ninth inning. Like that's just not how it's not how that works. So that's why I kept saying I would rather have an electric reliever than a whatever pedestrian to like maybe slightly above average starting pitcher because you can get those anywhere. You can't get an electric reliever anywhere. And I'm not going to fucking repeat the same points I've made a thousand times because people listening are going to be like, well, we fucking heard this before. Uh, but that's all it is. Like, it's not me thinking that he, you know, he can't do it or well, he's not good enough. It's like, no, 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 you're great at something. Continue to be great at that. Because if, if you're just okay or you're just good as a starter, I would rather have you do the thing that you're great at. Like, that's all it is. Yeah, it's the Tanner Houck thing, right? Like, it's where is the line drawn? For me, if you're a 3-5 starter, beautiful. Keep you in the rotation. If you're posting fours up there, all right, hey, to the bullpen you go. Go be that dominant multi-inning guy. I will say the 92 to 94, not freaking out. It's, you know, two appearances for him. Hopefully, by the time we get to the first turn through the rotation for him uh, with the Red Sox, you know, once he's healthy, I would hope it's, you know, 94 to 96 at the very least. I don't think we're going to see the high, high 90s and even some of the high 90s we saw in that start against the Angels. But there needs to be a bit of a buildup and he's getting those reps in. That's part of it. But if everything does tick down and I think the conversation has been, well, we don't know exactly when Garrett Whitlock got hurt last year. Like we everyone's been trying to pinpoint, oh, when did the hip start acting up and things fell apart? When did the workload get to him? Well, if we see coming into the season, it's 92, 94 on, you know, in the big leagues, you know, fully starting. Okay. Then I think there's some flags you got to put up and be like, the stuff might not play where you need it to play to be a mid rotation starter in the MLB. I'll admit that like that was one of my concerns, but that would be one of the biggest things I'm watching for. And I don't know if we're going to see him in another game. I think we're going to see one more this spring training and then he's to the backfields, but that definitely caught my eye a little bit. I was like, all right, I, I was hoping for a little bit more there, but it's early. I, I don't want to freak out about velocity in a second spring training start. Me neither. Or appearance. No, me neither. <clears throat> Again, I, like mid-April, a couple times through the rotation. Um, then I'll have concerns, I guess. Like I'll st- Again, like it's like a starting point. You don't just flip a switch and say, this guy's cooked. Like you kind of, you notice it, 
then it continues and then the concern develops and then it continues and then it's like call for action. Like it's not just one swift motion. We're logical people here, Tyler. Super, super. And I'll add part of that logic. Garrett Whitlock got better as that outing went along last time out. So, you know, if you're in that starter bandwagon with me, I know there's a lot of y'all out there. He got better as he went. Are there? There are. I have a lot of people. You'd be surprised, Jared, that are like, people shit on me for this Garrett Whitlock take, but thank you for going up against Jared and not letting him rain on that parade. I'm not raining on the parade. Oh, you're pissing all over it. You've pissed on it quite a few times. But I think I, I gave you a little bit of an umbrella when I brought up the bridge thing. The whole, you know, bridge year, yeah. you got to give yeah. him a chance. Yeah. We'll take that for now. Yeah. 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 So defensive, Tyler. Well, fuck off. You really, Shut the fuck oh, up. Spare me. Spare me. <laughs> fuck off. Like, I love Garrett Willock in the rotation, okay? <laughs> that is not what I sound like. First yeah, off, I sound way cooler. Jake, is that what Tyler sounds like? Jake, shut the fuck up. I swear to God. I was confused because I thought that was him talking for a second. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, no, that's fine. I, I'm, I just want to see it. That's all. Me We're too. almost there. A week from tomorrow. That's scary. It, it freaks me out a little bit. That the baseball season's about to start? Yeah, it's like um, it's like beginning of the school year vibes. Yeah. I put it. It's like, holy shit, like life's about to get a little wild. Like I got to kind of lock in here. But damn, I know what's about to go through is going to be a fucking. You're going to Garrett Whitlock in there, aren't you? Oh, shit, Tyler. First day of school's coming up. Opening day 2023. The Boston Red Sox with a clean slate. New dreams. New hopes, new players, new goals, a new season. I'm excited. I know Jake's excited. Tyler, you've been excited. It's a whole thing. Extremely excited. But the whole, uh, you know, um, the uh, the final thing, the the manager, because I included this in the blog in past years because it was like, Alex Cora, uh, first year manager. Uh, before I think, I mean, I did it way back. Like I probably did it like fifteen. Like fifteen, I was like, can we fire this guy? Sixteen, I was like, can we fire this guy? Seventeen, I was like, we should fire this guy. Eighteen, it was like first year manager. Nineteen, it was coming off a World Series. What's this gonna look like? Twenty twenty, it was like, okay, uh, Ron Redicky. <laughs> and then twenty twenty one, it was welcome back. Twenty twenty two, it was how do you kind of extend on what just happened? And now twenty twenty three. I don't know that there's a big storyline around Alex Cora right now. I think it's more just um, if there were a storyline around Alex Cora, I would say kind of piggybacking off of what happened last season. Yes, it's a bridge year, but also, yes, you have to be better than you were last year. You have to be trending in the right direction, because if you're not, I'm not saying that Alex Cora's job would be in jeopardy or that they would fire him. What I am saying is that if you're not showing some sort of forward progress, Alex Cora is eventually going to get to a point where he's like, what the fuck are we like? What is this? Like, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't sign up for a fucking eight year rebuild. I got here with the most dominant team in the sport. And now look at us. And I'm not trying to say that, like, now look at us as in like this team fucking sucks. In 2020, thank God. Like, that's the fucking best suspension ever. Like, you didn't have to sit there and watch all that bullshit. Although I know that he did. 
I know that he watched the games, um, but he didn't have to be in the dugout for it. He didn't have to answer for it. That's great. Uh, 2021 was a great time. Last year fucking sucked. This year, they have to be better than they were last year. And there, we can debate on whether or not the roster is better. You lose Xander, you lose JD, you lose Nate. Um, we can debate whether or not the roster is better if the talent is there to be better than you were last year. I think a lot of that depends on injuries and health. I think that they are fully capable of being better than they were last year. But as it pertains to Alex Cora, you have to keep trending upwards because eventually it'll just get to a point where Cora's like, man, I, I, I didn't sign up for this. I'm not going to bail because we're not a World Series contender. But I'm also not going to stick around for a fucking eight year rebuild. Like he, he, it, this, this isn't for life, and he's told you that. It's not a secret. He, he doesn't want to do this forever. He, I think, uh, managing is something he always wanted to do. But I think you know, roster construction, being an executive, a general manager, a baseball operations, whatever the fuck he wants to do. I think he eventually wants to be behind the scenes. I think he wants to uh, be in a front office somewhere. And I think he's fully capable of doing that. I think he could be uh, an Eddie Romero type. I think he would be outstanding at that. Uh, and you're also assuming a job that's very rewarding without having to get crucified when things go wrong. You ever hear anything bad about Eddie Romero? No, <laughs> like he's, he just does his job and he's really good at it. Uh, but you know, you're part of a team instead of being the one guy, like when you're, when a team sucks, the fall guy's the manager. Like you are exposed to the world, unless you know you can blame the general manager, or whatever. Like Heimblum is in the car. Like if the if the Red Sox do poorly, then Heimblum obviously wears more arrows at this point than Alex Cora does. But rightfully so, fucking ain't Cora's fault. And you can even go right down the line and say it ain't Heimblum's fault really either. You can blame him for shit, but there's a lot of stuff that ownership is responsible for as well. Uh, but all that to say, the storyline around Alex Cora this year is. You went out. Uh, you went out and got him some some weapons. You know, if you want to call Kenley Jansen a weapon, and you want to debate that. I don't know. Uh, I would say yes. The dude that leads the league in saves the, the year before, and you add him to a bullpen that uh, left a lot to be desired last season. So he's got some more weapons to work with, but he's got a mostly veteran team that, as he has described, is they're a bunch of professionals. So I guess we'll see. I guess I, I just want a happy AC. That's all I want. Yeah, I, I agree from the big picture outlook with that sense. I think from a smaller kind of outlook, I think this will be Alex Cora's most difficult just situation of having to manage. Now, you know, we've seen years past where he didn't have a closer and he had to figure out the bullpen for what it is. He's going to have to really pick and choose his spots with this rotation, how to keep guys healthy, how to give them an extra day. We know how much that'll mean. He's already made one and it's made title ways by pushing Chris Sale back a day. He's already been willing to say, hey, we want to give him an extra day. We want to keep him away from opening day. We want to do it. How is he going to construct the lineup? We already seen it. We talked Tristan Cassis earlier as the ups and downs of the year go along. Whereas if Cassis hits that kind of, you know, rookie slump and he starts to struggle and you got to piece this thing together. Yoshida, Yoshida maybe takes a step forward or back. It completely changes how this whole lineup could go together here. So I think dealing with that on a day to day basis, we're going to really see Alex Cora earn his paycheck this year. Like that is going to be a major thing. And I'm excited to see him do it because I've seen people in the past who, you know, cry about how he constructs a lineup. They hate how he uses pitchers out of the bullpen. Well, now the bullpen's a little bit more structured, not earlier in the year. It's going to be a little different. Um, so he's going to have to be careful there as well. But I'm excited to see Alex core really have to, you know, put this puzzle together himself, because if you put it together right, we know what's capable. But the margin of error is very thin where 
couple bad moves, a couple bad decisions, someone gets hurt. Um, you know, even lineup construction wise, something doesn't make sense. The leadoff spot, you can derail everything because you don't have the same length in that lineup you once had. And when it comes to the front office stuff, I think you get in a weird spot 90, like 5% of the time where if a GM or a CBO in Bloom's case gets fired, the manager is attached. I do think core is the exception to that rule. But would I be shocked if they kick Bloom to the can and said, hey, Alex Core, you always talked about, you know, you were GM of Team Puerto Rico. You friggin' put that team together. Would you want to take that Brad Stevens like leap? Or are you willing to say, hey, you care about the Red Sox? We know nobody has more love for the Red Sox organization and is more thankful than Alex Cora for taking him back and how that all played out. What does that loyalty mean? Is it enough to say, all right, none of this shit went the way I wanted. I'm going to go out and find another team and try to compete. Or would it be, I'm going to take a step back. I'm going to move into the front office. We're going to kind of do a little bit of a 180 here. We're going to get away from the straight analytical nerdy side and we're going to meet somewhere in the middle. And I'm going to kind of be more of an old school guy and we'll piece it together that way. I don't think there is a 0% chance of something like that happening. I do think it's very unlikely, but I think those are the kind of balls in the air for Alex Cora right now. And you kind of just got to see how it plays out for him. But if you or if this falls apart and Alex Cora leaves this organization, man, it would hurt me and it would be such a major loss and blow to lose that kind of guy in the dugout because it's so hard to find them in this game. And even when you have someone like John Farrell, who, you know, he's fine. He's a good manager. He won a World Series, but we saw towards the end how painful that shit can really be. Or Ron Renicky fucking sitting Alex Verdugo on opening day in 2020. I will never forgive him for that. I feel like uh, <clears throat> there could come a day when Dustin Pedroia is managing this team and Jason Veritek is the bench coach and Alex Cora is the general manager. That would be so fucking wild. <laughs> but I'd flip that and I'd say, would you be shocked? Jason Veritek's due for a managerial job at this point. I think we all feel that way. Yeah. Jason Veritek could be your manager a year or two from now. And I don't think anyone would be like, oh, that's crazy. Dustin Pedroia, I think it's going to be some time because of his kids and everything. But Jason Veritek, hey, you be my manager. We've been in the dugout, fucking former teammates, obviously, but we've been in the dugout for the last couple of years. You're not going to lose Jason Veritek as another asset to this organization. A guy who's really, you know, seems to be embracing the analytics as well. Mm. It'd be interesting to see a Cora Veritek combination GM manager. I've said I'm, this before. I'm a high bloom guy. So, like, you know, I don't want yeah, that to know. happen, but we know. fuck off. I think I've said this before about Jason Veritek. Uh, I love him in the role that he's in because there's no like it's not like the you know like the soda machine where it's like you buy one and then they just fall forward and you buy one and then they fall forward like there's nothing pushing him to the point where he's at the back of the line working his way up and then eventually you get to a point where you just fall off and, and whatever like he can have this job for as long as he wants once you get into the bench coach manager spots like you're hired to be fired like I don't want Jason Veritek to be in a in a role where it's like, all right, clock expiration date. Yeah, like there's no expiration date on his role right now. Like that's his for as long as he wants. Like he he has the uh, pregame meetings with the catchers and the starting pitcher. Like he'll go over notes, like all the notes that he used to take when he was a catcher as a player. Like he still takes those now. And then he goes over all like the attack plans with the catchers. Like that's his job. And obviously he when they're on the road, you know, like he's a guy that players will go to. Um, it's, you know, invaluable to have him there. And again, like that is a role that you can have for as long as you want. 
the manager bench coach role is obviously clocks ticking. Imagine like like obviously like it would be it would be cool to be like yeah Red Sox Red Sox <clears throat> manager Dustin Pedroia or Jason Veritek like all that shit. Uh, you know GM Alex Cora, but it's like. Could you imagine the Red Sox firing Dustin Pedroia? Yeah, that's the nightmare. Like everything goes wrong. And these guys that you have so much love for that have such a positive image in Red Sox history, you just go by remembering them as this failed, this failed, this failed. And they all had to get kicked out of the door and it led to a five year rebuild. Like that, that's worth, you know, like you come back for ceremonies, you come back for all this different stuff. It's just never the same after something like that. Yeah. All right. Uh, that covers the rotation and manager spring training storylines next week. Um, we, we normally wouldn't be doing two episodes a week that first week because they're, they're, the season starts on Thursday. So normally we would have just been doing one episode next week, but we're going to do an episode before opening day to finish out our spring training storylines, doing the bullpen and the lineup. And then, uh, we have a very special we have a very special opening day episode that is being recorded immediately after opening day with a very, very special guest that will be with in person, Jake. At Fenway Park. We'll be at Fenway Park with this individual recording the episode. Yes. Would you say he's like a very big guest? Uh. Yeah, I think people have heard of him. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, Tyler, are you excited for the the guest? It, extremely excited, but extremely nervous. You're nervous? Of course. When people find out who this guest is, I, I think they'd be like, damn, I'd be pretty fucking nervous too. Hmm. I'll be on my best behavior though. Okay. Opening day episode featuring Mark Bellhorn next week after opening day at Fenway Park. We're just a week away from the season. 2023 Boston Red Sox baseball coming for you. The positivity horn's gonna be blaring. Tyler's gonna be pouting. Jake's gonna be producing. And we'll be podcasting twice a week. All hit me again. Again. All season long as the Red Sox try to get back to the postseason for the first time in a very long two years. Stay tuned. Follow us on Twitter. Catch us on Reddit. Follow us on Instagram. And we'll see you next week. Buenas noches, amigos.